Hello and welcome everybody to the Kane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 3, issue 135 on Borderlands 2. You can play along with Kane and Rinse volume 3. The next five issues are Burnout Paradise, Banjo-Kazooie, Tearaway, Fire Emblem Awakening and System Shock 2. If you head over to CaneandRinse.com for the full schedule, there are also uh, there's also a blog there, links to our merchandise stall, uh, Facebook and Google Plus pages, and also the YouTube channel. Please do subscribe, review, and rate us on iTunes. It helps us get the uh, the word out about the podcast and uh, makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. Uh, I'm James Carter. Joining me in this issue, talking about Borderlands Two, uh, he's excellent at robotic dancing, Sean O'Brien. <laughs> Hello, hello. I call him the Invincible. Tonight we'll call him Jay Taylor. I do. And girlfriend mode aside, this is one handsome Jack, Darren Foreman. (laughs) What about me money bin? (laughs) I was asked to say that. I've got no idea what it means. (laughs) (laughs) Are you taking payments to say things on podcasts now? I'm afraid so. I think it's DuckTales related, but I'm not entirely sure. (laughs) Right. So, Borderlands 2. Uh, let's fire straight into our histories. I should say before we start a couple of things, we covered Borderlands in issue 50, right at the end of volume 1. So, if you haven't heard that show and played the first game, uh, you may want to listen to it before this one. And the second thing to say is, pretty much right from the off, we're going to say there's going to be spoilers. The story in Borderlands 2 we'll get into later on, but if you don't want to know anything about the game... Uh, there's a fairly good chance you can pick it up relatively cheaply now, play through it and come back and enjoy the show afterwards. So, Sean, how did you come to Borderlands 2? I was a pretty big fan of the first one. Um, I wasn't super crazy about it, but I did enjoy it, so I wasn't uh, entirely sold on pre-ordering the second one um, until they... I think there was some preview or something where they showed that there's a gun in the game that when you reload it, you throw it and it explodes <laughs> and it materializes in your hand. So I, uh, that kind of sold me on it. So yeah, pre-ordered it and played it day one and, uh, going through now level 35 assassin on Vita. So, wow. Yeah. Excellent. Jay, what about you? I'm going to be the comparative noob on this one, I think. Um, I only <laughs> came into this game when it came free with PlayStation Plus. Right. Yeah, that wasn't uh, that long ago at all. This was sort of... No, it was um, earlier this year. Yeah. Right? So. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, um, I guess I'd been interested. I'd always paid heed to the reviews and stuff and thought it looked interesting, always kind of... It was on the radar, but just never took the plunge until it was given to me, so... Mm. Yeah. And had you played Borderlands previously at all? No, I hadn't. No, I hadn't. no, this not played the, the original first, at all. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's uh, that's different to to certainly myself. Uh, what about you, Darren? Well, I mean, pretty much anyone that uh, listened to the original show that we did on Borderlands 1 should know that I'm, I was a big fan of that game. And I was looking forward to the sequel. It didn't seem massively different from what uh, was uh, being shown. But you don't really need to reinvent the wheel every time to come out with a good game. Um, the one thing that happened was that I ended up being incredibly busy when it was released, and one of my friends ended up buying it, and then I just got a loan off him, because I also had no money. But uh, yeah, I was looking forward to it, and then I played through it, and now I'm willing to talk about it. I ended up getting it on a Steam sale later on. 
Uh, yeah, that sounds familiar. I um, I picked up the first day it came out on Xbox 360, which is where I'd played the original Borderlands. Um, the idea always being that Xbox 360 had good multiplayer systems in place to be able to get into a, a game and, and party chat, etc. But I never actually played either the first or this one uh, in any form of, of uh, online multiplayer, so that kind of <laughs> defeated the purpose. Um, but yeah, I picked it up in a Steam sale, uh, I think probably summer Steam sale last year, I would imagine, uh, sort of six months after the game came out, or a bit more than that. Uh, but yeah, as as Darren said, you can probably uh, if you listen to the first uh, issue we did on Borderlands, you can you can take from that that I was a massive fan. It was until I played Demon Souls, my favorite game of two thousand and nine, um, and so I I was massively stoked for Borderlands two. Aside from a rather significant blip that had me thinking I wasn't going to buy the game at all, which we'll get onto a bit later. Um, it it was. I was there first day, uh, played through it pretty uh, heavily straight away and then didn't really go back to it all that much. A little bit when the Mechromancer DLC came out and then picked it up on Steam and uh, played through about half the game again there. So speaking of, uh, Sean mentioned it, there was a PlayStation Vita version released earlier this year, but originally the game came out Almost at the same time around the world, there was a couple of months window where everything came out on Mac, PC, uh, Windows PC, I I should say, PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. And before the game arrived, Borderlands itself had a massive advertising campaign all around the number of guns that were in the game. (laughs) Um, I'm sure many people will remember it. And they lent on that a little bit, a little bit, they lent on that quite a bit for Borderlands 2. I, I get the, the other thing they lent on the advertising was Handsome Jack, who mm. is front and center as, as the antagonist. <clears throat> I think after Borderlands, there had been a bit of um, criticism that the antagonist wasn't terribly strong. Um, and you ended up just fighting this big boss that you didn't really know anything about or why you were going after it, sort of. Um mm. So to put an antagonist front and center and and almost be the face of the game to a certain extent in the in the advertising made it feel quite different to me. Um, how about you guys? What how did you feel about the game? What did, you know, Jay? In your case, what did you know about the game? Uh, probably a good year and a half before you actually got around to playing it. Very little. Mm. Um, I just sort of caught the trailers and and some sort of read some reviews at the time but it you know so much of it sort of passed me by so in a way it was the best way to experience the game because it felt fresh yeah. you know i didn't yeah. by that time anyway i think most of the stuff i'd kind of forgotten about so it was you know seeing those characters hearing those characters particularly um it well it was surprisingly good <laughs> and i uh, <laughs> yeah quite enjoyed the whole experience really yeah, no, no, that's, that's interesting because for for me certainly the advertising, as as Darren, I think you mentioned, it, it seemed to be suggesting that this was going to be more of the same, but maybe a bit, um, a bit more sort of bold in terms of story, a bit more uh, obvious and in, in your face in terms of the humor. Um, but for me, it felt like it was to a certain extent more of the same, but obviously mm-hmm. without that that history, yeah, it probably did feel as fresh as as Borderlands did to me and then maybe a bit more with the the extra stuff that that the that gearbox sought to improve on i was gonna say it's actually something that's um 
that's come into play a lot recently is I like the idea of waiting a year to play a game because by then all the hoo-ha, all the uh, mm. negative mm. or positive, everything that cl- sort of clouds the perspective of a game is yeah. kind of uh, is, is sort of disappeared off the you know into the ether and stuff. And so you tend to go into a game, you just enjoy them for what they are. You take mm. them at face yeah. value every time rather than being sort of clouded by, you know, the general kind of internet hoo-ha or whatever. Mm. The Zedgeist. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of which, so if we're talking about strong positive and negative reactions kind of being quelled over time, one of the big negative things that happened uh, and, and was a bit of a, a media storm around uh, a couple of months before the release was that Eurogamer put up a, a story of uh, an interview, essentially, where they spoke to the lead designer, John Hemingway, who made reference to the fact that the DLC character that was was known to be coming out relatively soon after the game launched um, had a skill tree that was called uh, Best Friends Forever, BFF, and made reference to the fact that it, that it would be suitable for a girlfriend to play, and this got blown up into what became known as the girlfriend mode controversy. And it was actually... A reason that I was, it made me think I would not buy this game. I know it sounds daft, and and Darren, and, and certainly Carl uh, would have said to me, "Don't be so stupid. You're being an idiot." But I felt uncomfortable with the notion that someone who was relatively high profile on the game would refer to a character and a skill tree that was absolutely made so that players who weren't so good at, at Borderlands or or at first person shooters could still play the game as girlfriend mode <clears throat> now that wasn't specifically the term he used and you know randy pitcher came out afterwards and said look this has been blown out of proportion but it left me with a feeling that how can what this guy says john hemingway not be representative of or or how can i be sure it's not representative of um an attitude that may be more widespread amongst the rest of the developer now, I know that sounds absolutely daft and, you know, sure enough, had to think about it, chatted to a few people, my own girlfriend, for for instance, to see how mm. that would make her feel being, you know, having it referenced as girlfriend mode, as if all girlfriends are somehow inferior at playing games. Um, mm. and, and, you know, it was put in perspective for me and I realised that tarnishing an entire development team and game by the the possibly misquoted um, comments of, of one member of the team is not the wisest thing to do. But what were, you know, Jay, I guess you possibly didn't hear about this, uh, but um, Sean and Darren, did you, did you guys notice these comments and, you know, what did uh, what effect did that have on the build-up to the game for you? To be honest, I thought you would have been more outraged by the fact that Randy Pitchfield said that he hated women. <laughs> 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 but no, I mean... It's a silly kind of statement to make, but the thing is, I believe that pretty much anyone, no matter how uh, nice or righteous they are, or honourable, or mm. um, pleasant, or just any, no matter how nice they are, there's always a moment when you screw up what you say, and it gets uh, mm. construed mm. in a way that you didn't mean, or it just kind of slipped out, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, sh- I shouldn't have said that. Mm. And I don't think this guy was saying that in a way that was... You know, basically, women are crap at games. Like, basically, you can take her from the kitchen into your living room and play this game with her. I do not believe 
for one moment that was his intent. No. I just think that got um, just a, uh, a silly little misstep, and then that was the end of it. Yeah. Mm. It didn't bother me a great deal at all. Mm. Yeah, it, it, for me, it, it wasn't too upsetting. I mean, I, I agree. It was also a pretty dumb way of putting things for him. But at the same time, like, there's hundreds of people on all these teams that make all these games, so there's bound to be at least one or two jerks in the group, you know, even if he was being serious or so I kind of yeah, tend yeah, not sure. to let it too, yeah. unless I'm aware that like the whole team are a bunch of assholes, then not, you know, I won't, yeah. you yeah. know, but, um, yeah, it's just in, it, it was just one guy's statement. So I kind of didn't take it too seriously, but I don't blame you for, you know, everybody has a right to feel yeah, how they mean, feel the about thing, anything. The thing is, I mean, you can basically, every time that someone says something, you can interpret it how you like it, you know, nobody can mm, tell you how yeah, you yeah. feel about yeah. How, uh, what someone says but I mean also playing through the first Borderlands you know I don't feel that that uh, development studio had any kind of agenda against women of any uh, description you know like during yeah, the game no, there are plenty of strong fair. women yeah. um, pl- plenty of strong weak guys you know mm, yeah it's uh, it's got good variety yeah. and uh, gender representation yeah, absolutely. And and it's probably worth pointing out that one of Randy Pitchford's comments was to say that this was a personal anecdote and that John Hemingway was talking about his particular situation where he mm. would he maybe did have a partner who wasn't as good at, at um these types of games as he was. Mm. So um but and and I apologize to any listeners. I know sometimes we, we deviate into sort of the extraneous side of stuff that surrounds a game rather than the game itself. So I, I just wanted to bring it up because it very nearly stopped me playing this game and had it, mm. it would have been an incredible shame and to as much to my detriment and as much a criticism of me as as of, as of ever could be labeled uh, laid at the feet of uh, of John Hemingway. Oh, I, was think he's, <laughs> I think he's, uh, you know, it's a valid issue these days anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's always kind of interesting on one level to see just how tenuous, like you get one guy out there that says the wrong thing and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the sort of the internet sort of righteous storm afterwards sort of <laughs> kicks yeah. off. And it's mm-hmm. just surprising how quickly, like one person could really screw up all the hard work that people yeah. put into this yeah. thing. And, yeah, and, and I think, well, you know, it, things do get blown out of proportion and mis, mis misquoted and you know all the rest of it but you know it, it's the nature of the beast these days i mean it, it happens yeah, yeah, it with a fair regularity it's just yeah. uh you know um it, it's it is worth mentioning as well that that these stories do get a lot of traffic and they build yeah. up a lot of a head of steam yeah. and they can sort of uh, flow out of control on a much more positive note in the build-up to this game, I say positive note, definitely positive in terms of something that, that Gearbox did that I think is just was wonderful at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I listened to the eulogy that I'm about to mention uh, this afternoon, and again, just wonderful to hear Claptrap uh, read a eulogy to Michael John Mamrill, who was a big fan of the original Borderlands, and unfortunately, between uh, I think it was 2011, he passed away, um, and uh, and so one of his friends wrote to Gearbox and asked if they would perhaps record a eulogy from Claptrap, which they did, and it is incredibly touching to hear uh, Claptrap talk about this person who who loved that game so much. Um, and so then what they also said they would do, and, and they did, was um, they actually put him into the game in uh, in Borderlands 2, which is, I've never heard of anything quite like that. You know, the, there's mm. lots of things that game developers do 
for their fans and um, that they don't have to do, but they go out their way to do some incredibly nice things. But this one uh, really stands quite proud to me as as a moment where uh, Gearbox didn't have to do this at all, but they chose to to celebrate the the painfully short life of 22-year-old Michael John Mamoril. They've done... Um, I had no idea about this until I, I saw your link on the, mm. the show notes. And on the, the article that it's linked to, there's another post from earlier where they, um, they had Claptrap uh, propose or offer a yeah. speech for a guy who was proposing to his girlfriend. And <laughs> seeing these, listening to and watching the video for that and listening to the, the um, eulogy, it, Gearbox sort of stepped up several notches in my, uh, yeah. in my thoughts yeah. as, as a developer. Mm. I thought it was really impressive that they do this stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, very much. Yeah, and then they released Colonial Marines. Exactly. <laughs> well, and and this is the next point that that I want to talk about is Gearbox Software. After Bo- I'd I'd not play, played Brothers in Arms. I don't know if any of you guys had, but mm-hmm. Borderlands was kind of the that that threw them into the limelight for me. It was a game mm. that I loved, and so I was eagerly watching what they did next. And unfortunately, along with Borderlands Two, came Aliens Colonial Marines. Uh, which I should say we covered in issue 87. Um, it, it's an entertaining listen, if not that entertaining a game. Um, and and also Duke Nukem Forever, which, albeit not their game, but their name was on the box. They they published or, or helped produ- you know get to the finish line that game. Um, yeah, that that's around the time of Borderlands 2, those were a couple of black marks that were that were around, you know, slightly before, slightly after that that time for me, um, which really raised question marks about Gearbox for me that re- that shouldn't be there by all accounts, mm-hmm. um, based on my feelings about the Borderlands series. Well, that's a deal. I mean, both Aliens, Colonial Marines and Duke Nukem, I'm pretty sure they were just kind of taking them in and shoving them out the door. That that seems to yeah. be the the general feeling about it uh, for for different excuse me for different reasons in both those cases. I mean, what um, what? Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've you know I haven't actually played Colonial Marines, and nor do I ever intend to. But um, <laughs> got a wise, wise man, yeah. <laughs> it, but it's hard to like. I see that the writer of Borderlands Two, Anthony mm. Birch, is involved with the Colonial Marines, which you kind of think. Really? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's just because the right. I mean, the 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 humor and the writing in Borderlands Two is really mm-hmm. good. And then you kind of think, what the hell? Was he having an off week or something and <laughs> scribbled out the other one? But he's just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, t- tonally, obviously, they are very different games. But yeah, but um, you kind of, you yeah, know, there's yeah, a there's a banter thing going on in the yeah, game yeah. that yeah. you know, the, the just the the sort of the digs and the the humor of the characters yeah. really shines through, yeah. and in, you think, how much better would Colonial Marines have been had some of that been in there, if yeah. if only to listen to? You know, it's just I don't know. That's the thing, though, because I mean, it's not like um, script writing is completely impossible to take from one genre to another. You know, like comedy yeah, and serious. No, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You, would, you should still be able to have at least some of that banter and wit, like transfer across, yeah. even if you're not making. Out and out jokes make, and yeah, them, you know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, well, please do go back and listen to issue 87 if you'd like to hear more of our thoughts. And we go into a little bit of the rumours and, and known facts about the development of that game on, on that issue. Um, 
Yeah, Borderlands Two was was a strange uh, game for me in that respect because it was it was sandwiched by two games that that could not have lessened, well, that that should have lessened my, my faith in in Gearbox a heck of a lot more than they did, uh, simply because I I adored Borderlands quite so much. Very, it, it's just a very strange uh, time, and it will be interesting to see Gearbox obviously not involved in. Uh, as heavily in Borderlands the pre-sequel um, mm-hmm. with, with 2K Australia handling quite a bit of that development so it'll be interesting to see what Gearbox uh, move on to next mm-hmm. so uh, Borderlands as I remember it did not have a named out and out director but Borderlands 2 did Paul Helquist and as mentioned writer Anthony Birch um, so again it felt like in addition to Randy Pitchford they were putting members of their development team forward and, and mm. taking ownership of, of this game, I think it's fair to say. Um, composers also listed Chris Velasco, Sasha uh, Dickisian. I I hope <laughs> I've not butchered that surname. I probably have. I apologize, sir. Um, and Jesper Kidd. Um, Jesper Kidd, obviously known, known to me from several, mm. several past games that we have also talked about on um, <clears throat> excuse me on on Kane and Rince. the the music in in Borderlands and then Borderlands Two I think mainly stands out for the licensed track that they use right off the the bat at the at the beginning and what a track uh, and what a track in this case but actually <laughs> I think the music in this game is is really really pretty good it's subtle all yeah. the way through I don't mm-hmm. think it yeah. it ever over you know threatens to overrun what's going on in the screen but um, yeah just I thought really nice, supportive music, atmospheric music. Mm-hmm. I will really say that the licensed track in this game made me think Batman was going to appear in. <laughs> it's the exact same one that they used for the Arkham City trailer. Mm. Is it? Yeah, which... Uh, so every time that I see Borderlands 2's intro, I just... I, I can't see what's going on screen. It's just... Mm. I'm expecting <laughs> Batman to come in and bat yeah. people. I didn't know that. I've got to now watch that trailer again because yeah. I, I watch those trailers when they come out. But for some reason, that song did not, it didn't stand out to me on that trailer. Yeah. Um, but yet the moment that I saw the opening sort of cinematic for this game, I just thought, this is brilliant. And it's yeah. a really mm-hmm. unusual choice of track because it kind yeah. of, it, it's, it, yeah, it just, it's not what you might expect for something like that. It's kind of, you know, I, yeah. And I've, I, I've, I mean, I've got the track and I listened to it mm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it was yeah. exactly the same with the first Borderlands for me with the Cage the Elephant uh, track in mm-hmm. No Rest for the Wicked uh, mm. at the beginning of that. Except this time, I think what was so striking about it was, and, and it's a nice juxtaposition with what's just happened on screen right. um, yeah. in, in the intro, but it's, a, it's quite a melancholy Mm-hmm. track in many ways and and especially then with the action that is laid over on the train sequence at the intro um not what you'd necessarily expect and and again from the marketing with a lot of dubstep in there that kind of thing mm-hmm. it's really quite different but it sets such a stark tone for the opening of, of right. that game it's yeah really powerful i think yeah that's what i was gonna say it, it really sets the tone for the it carries throughout the entire game like it goes from like the x the stuff you're seeing at the very beginning is really silly with the the uh, midget psychic psycho mm-hmm. on the you know banging his hands and all that stuff and then <laughs> but the music's real melancholy and then it gets all actiony and then it ends like on a kind of dark note <laughs> it's just and the kind of like the whole rest of the game kind of does the same thing it'll go from really silly to really serious mm-hmm. to really 
dark to you know exciting and all this kind of stuff so yeah. really mm. good at setting the tone so we should just quickly say that um the the song is short trains hero uh by mm. the heavy <clears throat> just in case anyone happens to want to look it up um the the best way to experience it in my opinion is to if you haven't played this game, well, go and play this game. But if yeah. you just want to experience the song in in a little bit of context, um, YouTube has has versions of the the cinematic intro with with, with that mm-hmm. um, that music over the uh, over the top of it. And oh, yeah, oh, it's better yet, stuff. just listen to the end of the show because I'm damn well putting <laughs> it on the end of this, <laughs> and and rightfully so. Um, so we talked about the the intro. Uh, they did it in Borderlands. They they did it again here. You start off with just a sort of vast open, em- fairly empty uh, scene with mm. with an animal just walking around, and then suddenly you've got a, a bandit um, vehicle comes you know shooting past, filled with about five different bandits, I think, um, and it just then ramps up even from there as as the train smacks into it. But it it's it's a nice reintroduction to that graphical style that Borderlands has. Um, we've seen it. Other other games have kind of touched on it. Rage was a little, a bit like that as well. Um, mm. But it, it it's not cell shading. I believe we talked about that in the original Borderlands show, but it's got that sort of comic book feel to it where it's got thick black edges to, to all of the, um, the characters and the scenery. And it has a, a real sort of bold, strong style to it. I think, I think I, it's not a massive difference from the first. It's it's sharper, um, and I think what they do to to enhance the the art style and the graphics quite a bit is just show off more of what it can do with many many uh, a much greater variety of different locations. There are a couple mm. of locations and a couple of particular scenes in in the game um, that actually had me sort of sitting back and trying to take them all in uh, mm-hmm. because there's a few wow moments there. Yeah, I want to say it's a it's a significantly more colorful game too. I guess that's yeah. could just be down to the variety of locations, like you mm-hmm. said. But I, I I see like in my memory, Borderlands One was a lot more of that that kind of style that was big at the time, like the more brown and gray kind of stuff. But I I might be yeah. misremembering that. But I, I, I the first thing that I can think of when I think of the visuals is simp- significantly more colorful. Yeah, I mean Borderlands yeah. One was it felt a lot like a Western kind of environment. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like this little wastelandy kind of thing with uh, all these little ramshackle huts, and you could just imagine diving into a saloon and horses outside. Mm-hmm. You know, give that off that kind of feel. Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, I mean, there were a few uh, few particular missions in the first game that took you to, um, say, a, an enemy stronghold. Um, the um, a couple of spots where you had to go in. You were amongst buildings and that and that sort of thing. But for the most part, it did feel very sparse. Whereas mm. there are particular areas and locations in Borderlands 2 that feel much bigger and busier. And that ties into the story and, and what they did with kind yeah. of not retconning, but building around Borderlands 1 story to, to make 2. Um, <clears throat> and, with, and with the Iridium being here, more people have come to Pandora. Um, Hyperion have invested a lot in Pandora. So it means that there are several locations that you look at across them and there's clearly a lot going on there. There's a lot of um npcs there there's a lot of enemies there and a lot to to take in and, and i think it has added to the detail and the color particularly i think it's it's worth just stopping to take in uh, a comment we had on the forums from from count Stex, uh, to to the sort of 
to the story and the way that they've changed that from Borderlands 1 a little bit as well. Uh, Jay, would you like to read that, please? Borderlands 2 took the intoxicating loot mechanic of the original and added something the first game sorely, sorely lacked. Story. And not just any story, but a genuinely funny script that went even further in the DLC. In fact, the Borderland games are shining examples of how to do DLC and support your game long-term in general. Of course, the game excels in co-op, and some would devalue that into all, the ga- that into all games are better in co-op. But I truly can't imagine playing it without Linda at my side, complementing our attacks and powers to decimate the increasingly crazy mobs. In fact, we probably have more shared experiences in Borderland games than anything other than WoW. And that probably says everything you need to know. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to get back to talk about co-op uh, a little later on, but at the moment, mm. story, I, I just thought it was interesting um, that, that Stephen brings up there that the first game, I think there was a lot more focus on the mechanics and the fact mm-hmm. that it had a very... Uh, very much an MMO structure to it in terms of the way the missions were played, but obviously was not an MMO. Whereas, uh, and and therefore, uh, you know, that kind of highlighted the lack of story. And I mentioned antagonists uh, particularly kind of stood out. This time round, I think it really did show that the story came through. I, I've got, we, we've had comments on forums. Um, I've heard people say that some people like the writing in the story, some people don't. I really liked this this story. I liked the way it built off the first game. There's a mm-hmm. lot of characters shared. Um, there's there's not a lot of environment shared, but the the planet's supposed to have changed <clears> enough. <throat> I think that makes sense. But there's a lot of nods <clears throat> to the fact that actually they're building off what little story there was in the first and kind of in, enhancing the fir- the first game's story in the mm-hmm. second, which is is a remarkable thing to have achieved. I think. I, I think the story's really, really good, and mm-hmm. and more so the characters are really good. Yeah, in mm-hmm. their you know visual aesthetic and and the, the writing as well. You know, it's just yeah. I thought it was. I really, really liked it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I feel like mo- I like the more humor side of the story. Um, I think it kind of at certain points, and I know that they were kind of going for this because they to them it's an important story. Um, but I think there were a couple moments where. I think the story takes itself a little bit too seriously for my mm-hmm. liking. Um, but it's still a totally admirable effort. And I, I generally, I really like the story too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm slightly more conflicted, you know, like um, mm-hmm. I don't think that they did a great job with their turning cartels in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the problems is that there's almost a lack of respect towards them. And I know that there's not, you know, you can't, when you're telling a story, you can't take the gameplay side of things and mix it into the lore. Because Roland and his pals would be going around just blowing the absolute hell out of everything if they were <laughs> exactly yeah. as they were in the first game. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, some of the things that happened with them I wasn't too keen on. And as Sean's saying, I do think that when it took itself seriously, I thought it gave it a slightly nasty edge that I didn't find mm. was particularly welcome, you know? It's a, like, the world is inconsistent and totally uh, dissonant. Mm. But the fact that there's that kind of... Like, it's not like a narrative dissonance, but like it's a tonal inconsistency where... Something can be funny, and then you've got this really absurdly nasty thing just happening underneath it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It kind of cut the, the the bottom out from a lot of the jokes for me during yeah. certain sequences. Like uh, Handsome Jack, I know a lot of people like him, but I just think he's an arrogant arsehole. 
<laughs> no, yeah, he absolutely I, is. I, I but would say both, actually. That's kind of why I like him, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. The, th- the thing is, I mean, he just he reminds me more on a teenager that just thinks that he's got this biting wit, you know? He yeah. occasionally yeah. says some funny yeah. things, but he's one of those guys that doesn't get stuck in, you know? Like, I, yeah, I don't even think you actually see him until the end of the game. And as an enemy, he did very little with his own hands that made me respect him as an adversary, apart from just being annoying the entire way through. Yeah, I kind of like the way that it, you know, the way that a lot of the characters are their histories and their their sort of stories are unveiled through those, you know, finding those types yeah. or whatever mm. they yeah. were. And, and, and the Handsome Jack mm. stuff was quite interesting. I, I found it quite interesting as you as you sort of uncovered each little chapter mm. and yeah. heard those conversations of him sort of in the early days and how he became who he became and stuff. And I, I, it's the same with um, Mad Boxie as well. You know, as you as you unlock all these kind of little snippets of insights into their sort of mm. backstories I, 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 that sort of stuff really i really kind of got into it but i guess i didn't have that that sort of um because i didn't play the first game i mm. had no no touch point to to reference on, on mm. with the with the characters returning i i knew who they were yeah but i didn't have any kind of um expectations yeah, towards, the yeah exactly how yeah. it would be, yeah. I think Darren's point makes sense that hmm. they were every bit as powerful as you are by the end of the game. Um, yeah. and, and that being the case, why aren't the four of them, you know, hmm. laying waste to Hyperion and sorting the problem out in a more direct fashion? Um, <clears throat> I think for the sake of the narrative, it's it's much more interesting to have them there and helping you. Um, it obviously leads into this sort of standard power fantasy, which is you're playing the character that's going to make all the difference. To be um, honest, I think it could have been absolutely hilarious if every time that you were about to do something momentous, you just got the rug completely <laughs> pulled out, under, out from under you, with these guys diving in at the last minute and just wasting everything by themselves. <laughs> you know, like you've yeah, got a, yeah. basically your entire part during the last section of the game could be guarding a door from two midgets. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there there is something to be said for almost, um, I guess, Metal Gear Solid Four, the um, the sequence uh, where Raiden and Vamp are fighting. You could almost have that going on where you're doing something incredibly mundane on one screen, uh, and this massively cinematic mm-hmm. fight going on in the background where they're they're basically saving the day. There, there's definitely some humor to be had there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I would I would definitely agree with you, Darren, that some of the more serious notes um, where Jack's humour starts to become much thinner um, and his vindictiveness and masochism starts to become, uh, sorry, sadism even, starts to become um, significantly more obvious are definitely inconsistent with the overall tone that they're going for. But then I think one moment that probably you, you feel possibly negatively about, I would guess, but um, the scene where you're fighting Bloodwing or, or you're trying yep. to subdue Bloodwing actually had, you know, yeah. lump in the back of my throat at that moment. Knowing who Bloodwing was, I'd played through the first game uh, a second time through as Mordecai um, and and seeing Bloodwing there, knowing you were just trying to do enough to, to let it live and then having Jack kill Bloodwing right in front of you in such mm-hmm. a cheap way as well. Such an obviously cheap way, but all the while with Mordecai... Watching. Uh, voiceover 
yeah and obviously in in complete mm. mental anguish at what was happening I actually put a lump in the back of my throat and that's not something i thought a borderlands game or a game like borderlands would have been able to do because it, it did play so much on that kind of like mm. you know yeah. humorous I mean, side and that kind of thing my response was completely different you know I just, yeah yeah sure at the end of it i was just like yeah i knew they were going mm. to go down that route you know mm. It's just oh, I'd, yeah, all, no, I'd, it, I'd, I'd seen it coming a mile away, and yeah. just when it happened, I was like, "Very good, guys, <laughs> very good." Yeah, no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't massively surprising that they did it, but I still, I was yeah. surprised that I felt. Yeah. As I said, so, I mean, so just the way that you react to some it, things, you know, and just mm. when something like that happens, instead of being like uh, disappointed they got out of the car or, or sad or anguished, mm. usually, usually my thing is just like, couldn't you've come up with something a little mm. bit more interesting? Yeah, they, yeah. they also, yeah. I was listening to an interview with uh, the writer, Anthony Birch, and he was talking about that scene in particular, and he wanted that reaction that I think kind of both of you had, like he wanted the reaction, probably going more for what James was <laughs> feeling, but um, but yeah, uh, yeah, they sure. animated <clears throat> Bloodwing to originally, like his head just kind of pops and that's it, but uh, the animator said, well, let's go an extra step and have him like realize that it's happening. <laughs> Like Bloodwing, you know, he like starts freaking out and then it pops. So I think yeah, um, yeah, yeah. the sadism that Darren felt was actually kind of intentional <laughs> by the animators. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I mean, just certain cartels pull off sadism sure, better yeah. than others, I think, you know. Mm. It's just like there's something about Handsome Jack one that, it, I mean, his nasty side rings through, but the attempts to be funny kind of fall flat as a result. Mm. See, I, I, I think that's all entirely purposeful on not on his behalf. I think he actually mm. thinks he's trying to be funny. If I, I'm imagining Handsome Jack's a real person, which is silly. Yeah. But, no, I, mean, I mean, part of this is also coming from other people's reactions to it. Where they're thinking, yeah, yeah. "Hi, he's, mm. he's hilarious," and I'm like, "Yeah, no, no. He, he's he's hilarious." Taken from the perspective yeah. of the writers, I think to me that that he is he is clearly a sadist. He is clearly you know deranged in many in almost every way. In fact. Um, but the fact that he's still trying to be funny makes him a laughable character, and and I think the fact that he is himself so little of a threat is is all part of that. It's all about mm. the position he put himself into and the power that he got for himself that makes him a threat. And so, being able to do stuff like he does to Bloodwing in that scene, he's not able to do any of that. He just orchestrated a series of circumstances that meant that that happened. Um, and it's much more about him pulling strings. And the interesting the fact- thing is, though, yeah, I mean, yeah. during a lot of the video tapes that you can, well, audio logs that you can uncover earlier in the game, he is actually getting up there front and center. So, you know, he must have some skills. Sure. He's not yeah. hiding at the yeah. back during those. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's just that when he's interacting with you as the player, he's nowhere to be mm. seen ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Which, I mean, from a storytelling standpoint, you know, if if he was facing you, that would just be the cliche of him getting mm. away until yeah. then you know yeah 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 absolutely but it's, yeah. it's just uh, something about the flow that seems strange you know yeah no interesting so just to um to sort of fill in the backstory for the uninitiated um the four uh original vault hunters ha- have essentially they all united together and and formed along the course of five years between the first game and the second the crimson raiders who were trying to stop hyperion taking control of Pandora and opening this sort of potential uh, giant vault much bigger than the first that houses this this great power that will will be at the behest of the one who opens the, the sort of grand vault. 
Um, but <clears throat> Roland and, and Lilith are, are still with the Crimson Raiders, but Mordecai and Brick have kind of gone their separate ways and they've kind of um, wandered off and, and you end up encountering them at various different stages. I was surprised how late in the game yeah. you actually <laughs> encountered Brick, actually. Um, that it made it it was obvious it was going to happen but it made it mm. a, a surprise because they kind of left it so long um and and the vault hunter is is challenged with essentially stopping handsome jack opening this this vault so you're much the same as the first game lots of fetch quests lots of um toing and froing to to try and help the crimson raiders and and the the old vault hunters to uh, to stop handsome jack um, and again, you've got the guardian angel uh, over your your comms, trying to to help, or at least it seems that way. Um, and it all centres around this once floating city of sanctuary, uh, which I thought was was quite an interesting um, setting. I, I like the scenes where you were trying to to get it into mm-hmm. the sky, and you're there with its uh, scooter, isn't it? <laughs> who is still as as useless. So. Uh, Again, they started with four new Vault Hunters, which were all... They were variations mm-hmm. on the first, I think it's fair to say. They were um, basically cheap B-knockoffs, I felt. <laughs> now, I, I would agree with Straight you... Straight video versions. Ex, I would agree with you initially, except that actually I preferred them once I'd got into the skill trees for them. Um, specifically, Zero, I played my first playthrough as... Um, and and I felt that that character was just well more well rounded once you got him mm. pro- properly leveled up than the Mordecai was. And a, as a character, obviously, he's kind of a he's an enigma, and he's supposed to kind of make you feel like he's cool. And in the first trailer they had, Handsome Jack was saying literally that about this character. And they kind of built Zero up to be something special. But um, even um, Salvador as the gunzerker in the end, I, I felt better about him as a character than I did about Brick in, in the first game. I thought this, just the skill tree was more interesting. Um, you I got, suppose uh, it depends on who you picked, because initially yeah, I picked sure, Roland. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think that uh, Axon's got a better skill tree than Roland does. Yeah. But mainly the thing is, I swapped Lilith. And I think Maya is... She's more balanced, but mm. she's nowhere near as fun as Lilith was, because yeah. Lilith was essentially <laughs> broken. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> but it was um, broken in a way that made the game really fun to play as, you know, going into yeah. face mm. shift. Yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking about, yeah. like, the max, rather than skill trees, but more as characters, like, am I right in remembering, hearing something about this, about how Axon is bisexual? Um, I, I didn't, I didn't yeah, pick I didn't, up well, on that, but... Um, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me because with all the um, sort of mission text and then the audio logs etc etc there's a lot of mm. extra information uh, given about all those characters that you you wouldn't necessarily mm. stumble upon. I'm sure um, that if you go digging around for fan art, you could probably find something to support your yeah. theory. I mean, I, I certainly remember being very not surprised, but I remember being um, finding it. Uh, being quite pleased, I suppose, um, that Sir Hammerlock. Uh, it, it wasn't made. Although it was relatively obvious to a certain extent, and certainly people, when I said this on Twitter at the time, said, "No, I, I worked that out from the beginning." But it wasn't thrown in your face that he is a gay character, unless you happen to go and do some of his mm. side stories. There's no actual deliberate reference to it until you get to the point of doing some of his side missions that you wouldn't necessarily mm. have to see where he 
immediately he references his boyfriend and you are going to get something mm. back that he took, etc. Um, I like the fact that, and yeah, he has a, a rather large feather in his cap and, you know, there are certain aspects to him that, that do play to a stereotype mm. of a gay character, but it's not actually thrown in your face that he is gay, I don't think. Darren, you just said what? <laughs> I assume that you found it rather obvious. <laughs> no, I was just being trying to be comical. <laughs> no, yeah, I just... Um, I just like the fact it wasn't it wasn't put forward as yeah. this is this character right. and this is how we define him. It was kind of yeah. A bit I was more just I just looked that. it up and yeah. There's there's a moment where it's in the Tiny Tina DLC where Axton responds to uh, I can't tell what this is some some kind of thing that's said to him that, implying like what he's into and he says guns, ladies, and sometimes dudes. Um, so yeah, but again, <laughs> this speaks right. to what you were just saying about um, Hammerlock. It's yeah, just that it was a, it's yeah, a feature. If, it's a yeah. It's part of him, but they don't present that as like, this is our bisexual character. You're yeah, going to love yeah. it. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. They did that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, and that was the fifth round yeah. of DLC. That was the last yeah. of the season one DLC <clears throat> stuff. So it's not even like just people who played sure, the game over yeah. and over again. You have to be right down the rabbit hole to, to get mm-hmm. any kind of direct reference to that, which I, I think is just yeah. an interesting way of handling it. It's a bit more subtle than perhaps other games might manage, which you wouldn't think would be Borderlands yeah. <laughs> 2's strong suit. What's in, see, I'm interested by, as you mentioned, as Sean just mentioned, with the Tiny Tina DLC. Now, here's the thing. I haven't played any of the DLC. I'm curious about how much of the sort of, how much character development is in this sort of mm-hmm. like DLC stuff, because there seems to be quite a yep. bit of it. I'll be honest. Borderlands as a series is very well known for mm-hmm. having excellent DLC. Yeah, A lot of it uh, either continues the story or adds things that the main game mm-hmm. could really have been done with. Mm. They consider it, they implement it, and then they release well, it the, as DLC. Um, as yeah. for this one, in terms of character development, like has anyone played the Tiny Tina DLC besides me? Yeah. So, that, yeah, you, you know, they, they bring back... It's basically the story of the Tiny Tina DLC is that it's, it's, she's playing Dungeons mm. & Dragons or some kind of other name, um, and she's the dungeon master, and you are in the game. So she's... Mm commentating you know t- dictating what happens in the game and it's basically a retelling of borderlands 2 and so you get all the other characters come back even roland and stuff and bloodwing and um it's all about her trying to deal with the death of people that she know and, and um, death, yeah. so there's a lot more character development in there so if that's what you're looking for like i would say that's probably the one to play it's also the most fun and it would probably be very confusing if you've tried yeah. to play it before <laughs> yeah. finishing the main story. Yeah. Or at least very spoiler-filled. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you were talking about the dark side of the story. I mean, the Tiny yeah. Tina stuff was pretty dark yeah. in itself. That's yeah, yeah, the absolutely. only one that stood out to me. It's like, yeah. wow, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. It's pretty heavy <laughs> stuff going on here, but yet Smiling I'm still kind it, of yeah. laughing along <laughs> with blowing stuff <laughs> up. But yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's fair to say both Handsome Jack and Tiny Tina were fairly yeah, divisive sure. characters um, around the time the game came out. Um, personally, I, I enjoyed both of them, but I, I know mm. what people were saying that they found um, Handsome Jack to be maybe um, too too daft yeah. Or, or, yeah, a bit too much, frankly. And I think that's how a lot of people mm-hmm. seem to have felt about Tiny Tina as well, that maybe she was a little too wisecracking, yeah. a little too zany, a little just too much. Personally, I thought yeah, she I was a fantastic <laughs> character. Moment yeah, yeah. one, she showed yeah. up. I ju- yes, it's very. It is very dark humor, especially yeah. this is a thirteen-year-old girl who is surviving on her own against a group of bandits who want to do whatever 
to her and it's you know these are not nice characters you're dealing with and and you know we're not talking about nice things mm. that have happened um but the backstory between her and Roland I think that's that's a great story it's another side to Roland you don't necessarily see uh, outside of of with this character and I just thought she was a lot of fun um and a lot of it probably a lot of the way she is fun is her yeah. coping with what has happened to her previously and that's I guess what the DLC goes into but yeah I I just really enjoyed the character I've got to say um but I I understand that for some people that were just you know mm. completely yeah. far just far too much I guess is the, is the best way I can so, think to so put James, it you haven't honest. played the Tiny Tina DLC I, uh, yeah, oh, I haven't man. played any of the DLC. This is the bizarre thing because the first game, uh, the zombie DLC, um, not so much General Knox. Although I played about halfway through that, that was incredibly long mm. um, uh, DLC. That uh, the, the say, General Knox's armor. Even though I wasn't too keen on Handsome Jack, I thought that uh, General Knox was mm. actually pretty good. Just an intensely depressed yeah. guy trying yeah. to take you out. <laughs> the only reason I was mentioning it, I, got, I know we'll get into DLC later, but there's a for you and Jay both. There's yeah. a, a whole side mission in Tiny Tina that's uh, based on Dark Souls. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have, I have heard this. Yeah, I'd seen in a, in a list of some of the uh, just what games, films, uh, TV, books are referenced uh, in, and it's just a massive list. I mean, everything from some of the costumes mm-hmm. they wear to yeah. dialogue, lines they say, it's just yeah. crazy. Well, when you start looking into this, you're like, oh, God, <laughs> you could do a whole story on just the geek <laughs> references in this game, you know? Um, we are going to come back to that, but uh, just just to round out uh, some of those characters, I wonder if, Darren, you would read Beck's comment from the forums. Sure. And I'm pretty sure you uh, plan for me to say this, considering <laughs> everything I've said already. It, it does fit nicely, I've got to say. <laughs> okay, Beck says, Gearbox and Damon Clark deserve to be congratulated for the trickster that is Handsome Jack. It's rare that a character can be such a dick but funny at the same time. A great example is when Jack has just executed Mordecai's companion Bloodwing. I now own Borderlands 2 Game of the Year Edition and have got the Platinum Trophy. Borderlands 2 has been one of the best games I've played. It just works. The multiplayer is excellent fun. The plot and humour is a welcome change in the FPS genre, which tends to be far too serious. Pandora is a world that I thoroughly enjoyed and one that I hope to explore again. Uh, Beck left a, a, a much longer comment that I had to edit down just for, for this part that I, I particularly wanted to put here. Um, <clears throat> it's worth saying to everyone, as always, um, on the forums, we can only take a certain number of comments that we think fit particularly with what we're talking about. But there was some really interesting discussion and back and forth on people that liked Handsome Jack. Some people didn't quite so much. But there was a lot of sense of um, people who hadn't got on with Borderlands but picked up Borderlands 2 and just found a lot mm-hmm. more there and enjoyed it an awful lot more. Um, and in this case, Handsome Jack really stood out to to Beck and I thought it was worth just showing the, the positive sides that, that some people have responded to that character. Um, we've mentioned some of the characters that pop up again and some of the new characters I just wanted to ask before we move on Is are there any particular favourites that you guys have that we haven't mentioned I did like Gage's uh, skull trees and stuff, I thought she was a pretty cool design but mm. uh, yeah. obviously it's the kind of character that she is, there's not really much to her uh, personality mm. at this point yeah. Are we going to get yeah. into side missions at one point because there's one character that's uh, as one side mission Shooting that is worth, that's exactly it face McShooty. <laughs> yeah. yeah go for it yeah, there, yeah there's 
it's like the dumbest thing I've ever seen in a game, but it fits so perfectly <laughs> with Borderlands 2. His only thing is just shoot me in the face, and you shoot him in the face. I, I had forgotten that that yep. character was in the game until you just said, and I've just had it all come rushing back. Was, that was I so funny. It. I genuinely think that is the best piece of writing in the entire game. <laughs> it is yeah. the ultimate yeah. mistake of uh, quest in general, <laughs> and yeah. it's just a hilarious yeah. situation to find yourself in. <laughs> yeah. The way he just says, thank you, once you kill him. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. Um f- for me just to quickly say I I think Ellie is is a great character. Yeah. Um, yeah she's she, a lot of fun. Th- there's a lot of cliche to her. Um but and they, she's got this whole ridiculous backstory that she is I think half sister to Scooter. Scooter um, yep. And yet he is in love with her and they've got this whole <laughs> kind of like hillbilly stereotype uh-huh. going on as well. But I, I just find her such a fun character to be around. All her little comments or self-deprecating remarks, and mm-hmm. um, the way she puts you down as well. She's just <laughs> got this real great set of dialogue and and the the voice acting. Uh, forgive me, I didn't actually check who voice uh, who voices that particular character, but it just all is is real. It is a lot of fun. It really is. I I really enjoyed that character particularly. Um, so we, we've kind of mentioned the the main characters. Um, there are, well, there were four. There are now six of them. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about classes and perks, and I guess the best way to ask that, to start that conversation, is um, which um, cl- class and character, I guess it's the same thing in this game, um, which class did you guys start off as? What, what was your first playthrough, um, and how did you find that particular class? Um, Jay, how about you first? Uh, zero. Yeah, uh, and that's just because I thought he had the coolest outfit. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Does, uh, well, yeah. partly because I, I guess initially because I thought he was going to be stealth because you had this impression that he was like mm-hmm. a sort of stealthy kind of character. I don't know why. I guess maybe because he used like close quarter weapons like yeah. a sword and stuff. Yeah, and he's got okay, cool. the invisibility. Um, yeah, as, as he well. doesn't really play that way because he ended up yeah. shooting everything <laughs> anyway, just the same as I probably would yeah. with any of the characters. Yeah. But it was just, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you you can. Um, skill up so that you can kind of go invisible and, and then chain mm-hmm. kills so that you can maintain mm. that cloak for for longer but um the the problem i had was um i played roland in the first game in my first playthrough but i played him as a sniper um because i play as snipers i that's just what i do um so in this game i knew zero was both the stealth and also the sniper character so i went for him and no matter how much I wanted to go invisible and chain melee kills, ultimately I ended up sniping an awful lot because I enjoy the sniping in this game. Um, Zero still works to that degree, but I think the interesting thing about him, and it is also true of at least one other character, is um, it's actually quite difficult to play with that character through the early stages because it's not until you get to a relatively high level, uh, think about sort of 20 to 25, that, that the character starts to become much more viable in terms of using the the skills that, that they mm-hmm. have at their disposal um the other character i think that's true of uh t- to me at least uh is salvador the gunzerker um i mean that that um action is still useful but i think until you start getting um health back um at a reasonable rate and spawning ammo and stuff like that um until you start start unlocking some of those abilities as well um, I think both of those characters are a little weak, perhaps in in the earlier levels, the sort of ten to twenty um, range. Um, uh, how about you, Darren? What did what did you start as? 
It's interesting that you should say that because mm. I started out at zero as well. Yeah. And I got right up to the point where you're chasing Sanctuary across the fields, just trying to get back to it. Yeah, yeah. And I came to the decision that I was, well, the conclusion that I wasn't having a great deal of fun with him or his mm. skill set. Yeah. Which is roughly around the 22 level mark before he's getting good. Yeah. So I ended up dropping him. Mm. Um, I got to play as Maya for a wee while with my friend, Kobe. Uh, he completed it, had a high level Maya. Wasn't enjoying her. So I ended up uh, playing through the game as the commander, as mm. Axton, yeah, you know? yeah. And generally, I thought he was entirely okay. Yeah, I yeah. think he was outstanding in any kind of way. But I do like setting up turrets, you know? Turrets are uh, always mm. fun to play about with. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, there's a lot more to the turrets this time around than last time around. Uh, definitely yeah. a lot more uh, thought went into them. Yeah. Um, and then when the DLC came out and the Steam version appeared, because I played, I played through the 360 version for a start. Yeah. Like, when I had yeah. it alone. And then when I got the Steam version, I was uh, starting up with Gage. Yeah. Who was, personally, I think she's the, at least the most interesting character out of the, the selectable uh, guys you can get. Yeah. And Borderlands too. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can see that. I was interested in that character from the first moment they kind of announced it and started fleshing out what that character would be and what the skill sets would be, etc. Um, she's got a robot arm and a robot buddy. Yeah. And, That's good enough for me. <laughs> and uh, I particularly like the, the style on her. Um, it, she almost wanders a little into JRPG territory, I, I think is is fair to say. Um, but I, 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 my PC uh, playthrough, my first PC playthrough was with her, um, and I, I really liked that character as well. Um, I've got to say, um, it, it's weird talking about them as characters because a bit like the four in the first game, you don't really learn an awful lot about them necessarily. Yeah. It comes down to what they are as classes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. more than you do learn a characters. little bit about the backstory through yeah, the audio yeah. logs you know yeah. like mm-hmm. you've got the science project line about that uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Gage isn't uh, yeah, involved in yeah. where she makes de- uh, Death Trap which is a pretty cool name for the robot and uh, the robot ends up killing one of her classmates <laughs> did anyone play as Craig? because I mm-hmm. don't have that DLC and I've never used the Carter nope never, uh, never played as him unfortunately um, so I'll give him a shot later on. On he came with the Vita version, so I'm planning yeah, on yeah. playing through again. Uh, right. Yeah, it's um, just that playing as one of the bandits just didn't really appeal to me in any way, you know. Yeah, it's a strange yeah. one. I can see why, because the um, the obviously the well, I mean, if you think about it uh, from a standard standpoint on them, they are bought for her, and obviously yeah, yeah, as a, yeah, yeah. as a cardinal, yeah. they're going to be well, they're going to be pretty much invincible as long as you're playing well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you just get that kind of association where they are there to be killed. Yeah, I think um, the fact that you've had um, the same uh, bandit on the front of the box for yeah. both Borderlands yeah. and Borderlands Two meant that it was kind of inevitable that 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 character as a visual has become very iconic. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that that would be a, an interesting th- character to play as. But of course, the thing is you never see the character you're playing as. Right. Um, yeah. Because he's first person, so you don't see the character, which is um, a bit weird. And there's not even any mirrors in the game. No, no mirrors indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess you do see the character um, when you go into menus. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. You can see the character there. But um, yeah, no, never pl- played as Krieg and was never really enticed to. I'm not sure why. Maybe, I guess, it, it's a melee heavy character um, or can be spec that way, and that just doesn't seem right in Borderlands to me. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as Brick could be fun in the first game, um, the game's about guns. They keep telling us so, so I I ended up going that way. Um, Sean, mm. 
Oh, um, I... I, I guess you've tried several of these now <laughs> by the sounds of it. <laughs> well, no, not really. Um, I played the first game as um, Roland. Mm, so yeah. going into this one, I was just familiar enough with that class that I kind of wanted to keep rolling with that. So I started off with Axe and, cool. yeah. and uh, mostly because like, I don't really understand, like I didn't play as Lilith either. So I don't really understand what the special power is that phase shifting. I don't know what it is. Cause I haven't tried it. And with, it's, um, it's completely different in this one. Like okay. the, uh, Maya can lift them up into the air and kind of keep them still. Uh, okay. Damage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like like Mass effect could, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Lilith kind of went into a separate dimension and then could move really fast. Uh, okay. Ooh, Lilith's yeah. power was almost more like um, zero's, zero's invisibility, gotcha. but you moved a lot faster. And as you huh. came out of um, phase walking, you could damage opponents for a lot. Okay. Extra. Yeah. yeah. Just to, well, the thing is, I mean, like Lilith, what my pr- friend was playing the game with Lilith, and I hacked like someone that had hacked a game to make Brick pretty much invincible. Mm-hmm. And he was invincible, you know, it was impossible to kill him. But Lilith is so powerful that basically my pal managed to stunlock him until he gave up. You know, he could have <laughs> killed him in just one or two hits. Yeah. But he was unable to do it for yeah. about 15 minutes before turning the machine off. <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. I've also noticed that like none of us have even mentioned, not really talked about Salvador. Because, um, I mean, for me, like just visually, he was the least interesting looking character of the of the group so i i never even thought really i was gonna yeah give him it's a interesting chance. because they kind of made him the face for a while yeah yeah i think in a game that's all about guns having a character that's always dual wielding yeah. guns is is yeah, it fits um i i played about with him for a little bit on the pc version but ended up sticking with gauge mm-hmm. um I, I found gun zerking uh an interesting ability to have basically on the pc version i I'd already played through it on 360, so I grabbed a trainer and just stuck everything up at maximum. So you're one-shotting mm-hmm. everything, but what I was able to do was scoot straight through to the end of the game and then dip everything down to a more mm. reasonable level and and um, try him out. And I thought that those abilities were, were really fun when you were in rooms where you were basically being ambushed by loads of enemies. Mm. Um, it was so much fun because every enemy is almost like a a bonus to you. Um, as as the gunzerker, <laughs> yeah. it kind of feels that way. It doesn't feel like they're an enemy anymore. It's like, how do I chain these kills together to get maximum yeah. effectiveness out of it in terms of ammo back and and all sorts of other you know chaining a multiplier essentially. Um, so I, I thought that was an interesting character to play as. I thought it was quite cool, but it did feel like it didn't get good until later in the the skill tree um, mm-hmm. to me when I I tried him. Um, co-op as i mentioned i've never played this game in in co-op to any Mm. great degree whatsoever which is to my shame because obviously this is a game kind of made for that um four player co-op uh in borderlands 2 what were your guys experiences of that if indeed you played co-op at all it sounds like darren you did um as a matter of fact i didn't Um, that's one of the reasons it took me so long to buy the game Mm. Because this is how my friend bought it up on release. I couldn't because I was too busy. Uh, right. And he played through the entire game without me. The idea was to play it through with him. So uh, <laughs> I ended up just playing it solo after he had uh, finished mm. it and gave me his copy. Mm. Um, I, I, I have played it co-op in the past though. And the thing is, unless you're at level 15 at the end, and unless you've been playing it through at the same time, mm. often one person is just going to run away with all the kills yeah, because yeah. they are stronger. You know, they'll just flat out, they've got better equipment, they've got better shields, 
they kill things a lot faster. They tend to be faster because yeah. some of the skills yeah. can actually speed up the well, the speedier Carter. So they're not and, only getting there, but they're taking enemies out much quicker than you would yeah. as well. So yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a good way to level up if someone's at level fifty. They can just kind of carry it through it. You, yeah, you just get but the I don't, XP, I, yeah. I don't think it might, makes for a particularly interesting or compelling gameplay yeah. experience mm. when that's happening to. Well, I don't know about that because I, you see, because I came into the game really late and we had a, a got together with some some of the guys on the forum mm. and they'd already you know were, were ridiculously powered up on the on the game but i actually quite enjoyed it and the reason for that is simple is if we're all at the same level when we're playing these games quite often you can't have a conversation because you kind of got to go you've mm. got to concentrate <laughs> on what you're doing otherwise you're all gonna die yeah yeah whereas when those guys were really powered they would take they were in my game so it, it seemed that everything was on my level rather than theirs yeah so they were wiping the hell out of it it was just you know we're just speed running through these levels but we're com- you know we were having a chat with joking and just playing around I didn't mind that. I mm. thought this is cool because I don't have to concentrate on what I'm doing because I'll just stay behind them, let them kill everything, and I'll just pick all the bits up. And I got loads of really good guns out of it. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this is this is awesome. <laughs> I, I think there's something to be said for that. When when I a, a bit of my Mechromancer playthrough as as Gage, I um I just popped all of her stats right up because on PC you just grab a trainer and it's literally just a few button presses and suddenly you've got. 99 million gold and 99 gold God keys and, yeah but <laughs> i wanted to see at what point the, how broken the game becomes and i mean the first collector you meet when you're trying to rescue roland lit one shot i mean literally mm. one shot because the game is so tied to levels that i i just picked up the sniper rifle i had pointed it at the the, <laughs> the glowing light and it was a one-shot kill and that is wow. ridiculous yeah but <laughs> it didn't actually affect my fun with the game. And I spoke about mm. on the Borderlands show, a lot of my fun with this game comes from the fact that it does have those MMO ties. And I've never yeah. been one for MMOs, but I understand the that um, sort of rush you get when you level or just seeing numbers bounce off things or when you find mm-hmm. a gun or you get a drop, you know, mm. something happens. And it's all this feedback that is just meant to yep. make you pleased with the fact you're playing the game. And even though it's one-shot kills, that should be really boring. But there is enough to this game, both mechanically and in terms of the the story and the characters and the atmosphere. There was enough that I had perfectly good fun. So yeah, I absolutely understand Jay what you're yeah. saying. That mm. and and if you're chatting to four people and running around with them as or three people mm. and running around <coughs> with them as well, then yeah, that can only add to that. So yeah, that, that yeah. makes perfect I mean, sense. I can just draw a parallel between this game and uh, MMOs just now. Mm. Um, I've played a few MMOs in my time like I did play Warcraft for a while and uh, more recently Final Fantasy XIV for me a lot of the best moments in an MMORPG isn't just getting equipment or uh, totally overpowering carters it's usually when you've got a boss that is challenging for your level and then you've got to work in tandem to take them out yeah and and there are those bosses in Borderlands as well it's fair to say the the thing is I mean like in Borderlands 1 there was a perfect example which was Cromorax you know that was designed to basically have like max level uh, players having to work together to try and take it out I think the game would be better if there was more of those kind of like institutions that would be nigh impossible by yourself and just kind of you know designed for teamwork Mm. as opposed to just overpowering them 
Well, it's interesting because in in this game, I I think I'm fairly sure at least, and I haven't played through all the DLC, but I think there are significantly more of those than there were in the first game. I think you could argue the final boss was kind of designed that way in the first game, although it was perfectly doable on your own. Um, I, but, I killed that boss by standing still and firing it. Yeah, but but hmm. it, it could actually deal quite a lot of damage and you you might be in the situation where having multiple people would help. Um, and hmm. Cromerax was the obvious one, yeah. For level 50, or actually by that point it was probably level 85 or something, um, characters would, would still need to be working together and, and you know, using all their various different skills and tricks mm-hmm. to try and work in coordination. Um, off the top of my head, Bunker seems there are so many mobs around and Bunker itself is just has what, just just so much health, frankly, that Bunker... I mean, you've got places you can stand out of its fire and kind of snipe at it, but it just has so much health and it drops a ridiculous amount of loot. That actually ends up being a really good boss to kind of grind on if you want to get some decent weapon drops and pick up some more iridium uh, once you've leveled past it Um, because the way Borderlands 2 works is uh, every time you go to a new area it sets that area at your level um, that you're currently at so then if you go back there the all the enemies are at the level they were when you got there so it's a really nice progression but it means if you go back to an early area uh, later on it's going to in theory be a bit easier and you can do that with bunker to a certain extent Mm. and the warrior first time i got to the warrior i ended up having to be like to cheese it on my own because i didn't feel like with again the mobs around on the ground and the fact Mm. that it was dealing so much damage um it was really quite difficult to um to manage on my own but i got the feeling that being the final boss in the game it was designed that multiple people would need to be taking it on um and and there are two side mission bosses that are that are direct references to chromorax uh terramorphous the invincible uh, mm. in a mission called you will die seriously that you get <laughs> from from uh, patricia tanis after you've beaten the game and uh vermivorous the the invincible um who's only in Vault Hunter mode that you unlock after beating the game. Um, it's a, I think, a randomly spawning, but it's a very rare spawning. One of the, I forget the name of the flying creatures. Oh, shoot me in the face. I've forgotten. Rocks. Yes. Yeah. It's um, it, it's a, the highest level of those. Um, huh. And you get badass versions of all the enemies, but this is beyond that. And again, it seems like these bosses are made for, for raiding. So they are there. It's maybe just they're in side missions to a certain extent yeah so uh, on that particular um notion uh sean would you like to read andy kurosaki's sure. comment andy says it took me a while to get into the original borderlands once i did i played it to completion and very much enjoyed it i got borderlands 2 on release got five hours in and it kind of slipped into my pile of shame i've only just gone back to it last week i really should give it a proper go it's not that it's a bad game, far from it. Maybe it's just that it can be a bit frustrating solo, especially when fighting bosses and dying constantly. I, I didn't find I was dying constantly, but I certainly know what it means. There were some bosses that, as, I, mm-hmm. as I've just said, I, I felt like I was supposed to have someone else with me, and I didn't, so it made yeah. it a bit more of a, a difficult one. The Warrior was the, the big one for me. Um, mm-hmm. that, that was quite a... It never became a chore, but it got to the point where I could see it being frustrating, certainly. Yeah, um, for, for, uh, for me right now, I'm playing it on... Like as I said, on Vita, and yeah. that already has your options are limited or 
lowered to uh, this only has two at player co-op. Yeah. And I, I don't really play co-op much anyway, so I've been going through it on... I just finished it again last night. And the hardest one for me was actually Dukino's mom. I don't know if you guys did that uh, side quest where you take care of the skag and feed that, it and let it grow up. Hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and that, that boss solo where it's not even really a boss it's just like another yeah, it's just a, character yeah, yeah but yeah. it was almost impossible i had to get like i had to use basically rocket launchers in each of my slots <laughs> for <laughs> to take her out but um yeah I, I but generally i went through the game solo and and had a totally fine time with it yeah i, I think there were certainly spikes here and there that Definitely, i felt yeah it, yeah it suddenly got way more difficult and that's what made me think that that was supposed to be kind of a, a raid boss type situation yeah but i mean it's not like a consistent difficulty but occasionally you'll just come into an area where you are getting blown up before you can yeah. get the cover you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um so on that kind of mmo trip um lots and lots of loot one of the main ways to get hold of loot and a lot of people kind of stumbled onto this before they quite worked out what it was all about um, in Sanctuary, in the old train station, I believe it is, um, certainly the travel station, um, there's a big gold chest. And if you walk up to it, it just says, do you want to open this chest? In fact, actually, originally, it didn't say anything at all. It mm. just automatically opened if you pressed the, the prompt to open it um, and, and took away one of the gold keys that you got. Um, so golden keys, uh, you, you got, I think, you got a couple, you got one for buying the game new as part of the mm-hmm. um, premier club thing um and then you got one for opening up a shift account with um with gearbox which was their social media still is their social media account um and then they would put out codes on um on twitter and facebook that were active for an hour or so at a time that, that would be a code to get another golden key um and i remember patrick klepik particularly uh, was quite irked because the way these work is that when you open the the chest, it um, it gives you a weapon that is a rare weapon, but at your current level. Right. Yeah. So what you kind of want to do is leave them until later in the game when mm-hmm. you're maybe not getting so many good drops and weapons, and you can get a good weapon drop then. Um, I think it's kind of mitigated by the fact that you could get loads of keys if you just kept following, you know, Randy Pitchford and and Gearbox on on Twitter. Or um, if you use a trainer. Or if you use a trainer, I got ninety nine, and, and then and then spent a couple and just pressed boop ninety nine again. <laughs> so it was pretty easy to to get a lot of level fifty uh, purple and orange grade weapons. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting way to do social media. I think a lot of people felt the golden keys were going to be quite scarce, but then it turned out actually, if you're involved with Gearbox kind of outside in in the social media space, you would be getting golden keys anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I don't know that there's necessarily more to say about about that, but it's it's interesting that they yeah. they put that in there. I think um, it was it was quite quite cool at the time trying to work out how it all worked and. Um, the rumors of of what sort of weapons you could get from it. Um, there's also iridium, which is the the whole story is based around the fact that iridium is now erupting out of uh, out of Pandora, um, and that's an upgrade system for your backpacks. And um, that I mean that's the main way you want to use it is to upgrade the number of slots you've got in your inventory. Um, and and obviously you get weapons from all different ways and places and means. Um, lots of loot, lots of stuff popping out from various places. I think they did change the system so that 
um, money certainly you can you can collect automatically, mm-hmm. or you can hold down the button if you're if you're pointing at one object and it'll pick up everything around it. Um, so they kind of changed that a bit to make it a little easier to collect up all your loot at the end of the the um, the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, which which leads me on to one of the last things I wanted to uh, to to bring up. We've talked about it before, but the humor that's in this game. Um, mm-hmm. Some people certainly found um, a little grating because it's really heavily based on pop culture and particularly internet memes. There's a lot of kind of meme humor around in this game. A lot of the um, a lot of the dialogue, particularly, um, there's dialogue references. The cycles <clears throat> will run at you shouting YOLO sometimes. Um, you know, there's uh, well, there's one fantastic double rainbow moment where you literally get the guy saying as the double rainbow appears you know that that happens um which is bizarre and weird and personally i actually really liked the fact that there was a side mission called splinter group in the sewers and you went in (laughs) there and there was sure enough a rat and some turtles were attacking you i just (laughs) thought that stuff don't forget when you're near uh, LA, there's a Top Gun reference. With yeah, the... yeah. There's a whole side, whole sides quest series of Top Gun references. Um, I, I had a look at the the Borderlands wiki today, and I was surprised at the number of references that were on there. I got to the end of the written works and fiction um, section and thought that must be everything that's in the game. That is a fraction of what's there. Um, it is. Very surprising, Jay. I think you mentioned that some of the costumes are um, DC and Marvel comics inspired, mm. and there's just all sorts of stuff going on uh, in terms of various references. The game, to be honest, I can see what some people are saying. It is dripping to the point of being saturated with references. Mm. It's rare that you go five minutes without seeing a reference to some kind of, um, I guess, geek fan kind of references or, or what they're it's based on but it's just there's all sorts in there video games movies um yeah loads yeah. of it there's I, the, that that whole uh referencing again that Dukino story apparently it's based on yeah. some kind of children's book yeah and yeah. um actually a, a funny trivia about that particular quest uh I was, again on that interview i was listening to um <clears throat> anthony birch was talking about how they originally had it set up the quest where you did the, you took care of the skag and you took him back home or you took him to his new home, I guess. And then later on you get a call or you get a quest that says, Hey, there's this monster, um, destroying the town of Lynchwood. You got to come back and, and stop it, which is how it happens in the game. But when you, in the yeah. game, when you go there, it's Dukino's mom. Uh, but the original version of it was, it was, it was Dukino himself and he, uh, he's terrorizing everything and then he sees you and he stops and you have to put him down like old yeller. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And wow. um, yeah. And then when they were playtesting it, um, one of the playtesters came across it. It was technically a bug, but so he came up to Dukino, and uh, Dukino did a thing that he does when he's little. He like got on his back and was rolling around and like all happy to see <laughs> you. And so <laughs> the guy had to put him down then. And he came up to um, uh, the rest of Gearbox and was like, "Guys, I love the game. It's great, uh, but." I just put my dog down last week. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, if I played this yeah. when that happened, I would have thrown the game in the trash. So they <laughs> they had to alter it slightly from that short story that they based it on, I guess, and uh yeah. and make it to Kino's mom. But yeah, it's just 
the reference there is, is really bizarre and random, but yeah, still yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, no, there's all sorts in there. Um, Darren J, is there anything in particular that stood out to you? Anything that, that you did or didn't like either way um, about the, I guess, the entire style of writing, re- really, uh, it's all encompassing. Um, there's no way to separate it out, really, I don't think. No, I actually, I just enjoyed it. I mean, I still enjoy listening to the various sort of comments that the bandits make as as they're trying to fight <laughs> you. Um, and it's just, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, I think that even though it's all the same kind of humour, some of it hits the mark and some of it doesn't, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, which is strange, because, I mean, like, when Claptrap's um, talking about how he's going to be tortured by, uh, I've forgotten the guy's name, but the guy in the Arctic, just as you're about to... Uh, like uh, row back to the mainland in the big boat. Oh, Captain Flint. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't actually row because it's not that kind of boat, but you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> sail. yeah, absolutely. You know, like I find that some of that kind of stuff funny, but then you can get the same kind of stuff later on, and maybe it's just saturation. Yeah. Um, it just kind of missed its mark for me, you know. Mm. So, like, basically, sporadically hilarious and sometimes dull. You know, mm. like there's a joke yeah. there. You understand it's a joke, but you just don't find it funny. On that note, uh, Robotic Monkey on our forums, uh, he wrote, You could whiffle on for a good while about why Borderlands was good. No doubt you'll be doing this in the show, so I'll keep things short and sweet. The game is crammed full of geeky references and winks to the first game. The story was good and entertained throughout. The tease the trailer kind of summed up Borderlands 2 for me. Bazillion guns just got bazillion dear. It was just more Borderlands with extra sheen and more story, and most importantly, more giant giant numbers flying in a satisfying arc whenever you land a shot, and more dancing claptrap. I can forgive the dubstep for claptrap dancing. <laughs> um, there was a lot of dubstep. Though. Um, I'm disappointed that there wasn't a dubstep gun like in Saints Row 4, though. True. There was an equally annoying gun, though. Did any of you guys get that? That's gun thing, the thing. The one in Saints Row is actually awesome. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I loved how how like brash it was really to just like make literally the most annoying gun you could possibly ever shoot in the game uh for those who don't know it's like a it's it's the the sound of the gun is a psycho screaming non-stop and then when you reload it's tiny tina going reloading (laughs) and and it makes you you can't move with it so you have to move like you're moving at a snail's pace so it's specifically designed to just piss you off (laughs) <laughs> where do you so, get that? Because um, I, I haven't seen this. Yeah, it's a side mm-hmm. quest called the Bane. It's when um, Marcus sends you. He's looking for uh, bounty or something like that. And at the end of the quest, it's like it's just in a little bin that you open up, and there it is. And yeah, it's about. I, th- I want to yeah. say it's about like halfway through the game, like or chapter eight or so. No, but, I, I, um, I, I didn't come across that. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, although having said that, I would have probably laughed about it. I wouldn't have used oh, yeah, it. Oh, so terribly funny. long, obviously, but yeah. It's, there's, uh, a, there's a video <laughs> of a guy uh, gunzerking with two of them on the, um, <laughs> the terraformist or whatever. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's yeah, but I was oh, crying dear. laughing. <laughs> so, uh, as mentioned, I didn't play any of the DLC aside from getting the Necromancer uh, pack. I just didn't get any of the DLC for this game. I don't know why. I feel like a prize idiot, frankly, <laughs> because I enjoyed, uh, Mad Moxie aside, I enjoyed the DLC in the first game. Mm. Um, we, you know, for the most part, it added an awful lot to um, the game, either in terms of presenting a different um, environment or a different gameplay style. And in this case, I just I don't know... Uh, I I remember a lot of this stuff coming out. I remember hearing about it. I know mm. roughly what 
some of it is, and and you guys have obviously recommended Tiny Tina's Assault yeah. on Dragon Keep. Um, Definitely. Overall, how how much of the DLC have, have you played, Sean and and Darren, um, and and how much of it did you did you like? I've got season one's DLC, mm. um, with the exception of Craig, and. It's good. I mean, the Tiny Teen Assault is definitely worthwhile. Yeah. The Campaign of Carnage, Mr. Torg's Campaign of Carnage, it's not as good overall, but Mr. Torg is a (laughs) tremendous character. I love that guy. (laughs) He is basically the 80s personified. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Definitely up there. Uh, And as far as uh, characters go, he's right at the top alongside uh, Moxie for Mm. me. He's actually much funnier than her, actually, I can't think of it. Yeah. Definitely. I, I, I played um Scarlet Torg and Tiny Tina and I I don't remember honestly much about uh, Captain Scarlet. Um I hope it was disappointing because I haven't actually played it. Yeah, I mean mm. I guess that probably speaks to I I definitely played it, but I don't remember really much anything about it. There's just a lot of um reskinning of characters, making them, you know, yeah, instead yeah, of bandits yeah, they're pirates, kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Uh Torg's was like you said, hilarious because just just for Mr. Torg, he's he's mm. unbelievable. And Tiny Tina's like that's honestly one of my favorite things pieces of DLC that I've ever played because it's it's um it feels like it could have been its own game. Like it's it's really long. And um it's just a lot of fun. Like the the, the way she dictates what happens on screen. Like it's kinda like how we were just talking about the Bonafart thing, like how things change on screen in front of you. She'll be like all right, so now you're fighting this guy and he'll pop up and then she'll like, no, 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 that was boring and switch it up and then she'll just change the enemy right in front of you to something else. And it's, just, mm. it's a lot of really imaginative um, game design, especially for Borderlands and yeah, really lengthy and yeah. it's really solid stuff. And I, I didn't play any of the season two stuff. I don't no, even no. know what that stuff is. Is it even like yeah. actual, um, like these were all tiny campaigns yeah. added on but I, I don't know about season two are they the that's same the weird thing, thing is i remember hearing a lot about season one because obviously the the season pass was being pushed so right. as and when yeah. each piece came out I, I was surprised to find there was an entire season two because i hadn't heard of pretty much any of this mm-hmm. stuff it is um, strange because i mean tiny tina's assault dragon keep was culmination you know it felt yeah. like just that yeah, yeah. Yeah. Off. Yeah. and then season two i've i've I'm actually unsure if all this is even out yet. You know, I'm looking at them. I don't even recognize the names. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the last one is, so I would assume. I, I remember yeah, actually I, I read a couple of good reviews right about the Sir Hamelock versus Son of Cromrax. But mm. at the same time, like I said, I'm not sure that they're actual campaigns or if they're just like extra areas yeah, um, no. that are just added on. Because I, I I'm, I'm pretty sure they're actually even cheaper than the first yeah. season DLCs too. Uh, apologies to anyone listening who who yeah. played, loved, and and adored all of these, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it just not on my radar, unfortunately, and I, I feel, I feel like I'm I've missed out not not at least knowing what they are, having heard a little bit about them. Um, so apologies if there's anyone who was waiting to hear what we thought of Mad Moxie and the Wedding Day Massacre. Um, Sean, you mm. have played the Vita version. I, w- yes. I was in fear that none of us would have, um, <laughs> uh, because what I'd heard of the Vita version uh, when it came out, obviously mm. it was announced. It was going to be in a in a bundle with a Vita, and um, and then when it came out, it was oh, it's only two player co op, not four. Yeah. <laughs> oh, enemies disappear when they're killed. There's no ragdolling, so uh, obviously they've done that. It's not 1080p. Yeah, <laughs> there's lower enemy density, lower uh-huh. uh, draw distance, and there's frame rate issues, which all seem like 
obvious concessions that had to be made yeah. for the Vita. Content's not that much of a problem. You can, in theory, put an 8-gigabyte game on a Vita if you've mm. got a memory stick that's big enough. And <laughs> yeah. that's, of course, yeah. what was on DVD for the for the game originally. Mm. So content shouldn't be an issue. And sure enough, it's not, because you've got all six characters, I believe, and yep. all of the DLC, including not presumably the season two. Right, okay. Well, I'll get you to elucidate on yeah. that. I've been led to <laughs> believe it was all of it. Um, but obviously there were going to be technical differences, yeah. not least of all, because there's no bumpers and triggers. You only got the bumpers and the Vita, so controls mm-hmm. are going to be different. So how did you feel overall about, the, or how do you feel about the Vita version? Uh, literally all of those problems are true. Um, there is lower enemy density. Draw distance kind of sucks. Frame rate is not ideal. <laughs> it's what, like 30 on consoles and pc right and um, yeah it's hard locked through yeah, yeah and it definitely dips especially when there's more enemies on screen but yeah, it, yeah. but the one thing i do like that they changed <clears throat> is how the enemies blow up when they're killed because it just feels like it's a, that that would be something that happens in borderlands you know like you no matter what you yeah. do if you if you punch them they explode if you throw a teodor weapon at them they explode and it's just it's that really awesome. stupid yeah it's, it's yeah, great yeah. it's great it's it's, yeah. it's it's stupid but it's great um and the DLC actually, it's only it's the two extra characters and uh, Scarlet and uh, Torg, I think, campaign. Oh, right, so okay. unfortunately, not Tiny Tina. Um, but hopefully that, that they haven't said whether or not that is or not coming. So, um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like it's as a portable version of Borderlands. I think this is probably as good as it could have been. Um, it's totally yeah. playable. It has. They just passed it recently, but at first it had a lot of uh, crashing bugs, which is a real bummer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I think we had a comment on the forum talking about how um, they didn't like it on console, but on Vita, yeah, the way that yeah, you yeah, could just put it to yeah. sleep mid, mid quest and just bring it yeah. back up. Like, that's, that's a really big help. I, I don't usually 100 ping to with this one just because I can. Like it's just it's always sitting there next to my couch while I'm watching TV, so I can just pop it in. So like, yeah, the reviews were kind of brutal because they were saying, you know, this is the worst bo- version of Borderlands 2 to play, which is technically true. Like compared to consoles and PC, of course they're going to be, yeah. you know, a significantly better experience. But as far as as putting a piece of Borderlands in your hands, yeah. like I, it's, it's it, I find it just as great and actually on with that oled screen you know that's the meme in itself that oled but um it looks gorgeous <laughs> when it's flowing correctly <laughs> when the frame rate's going it looks amazing yeah yeah, so. yeah when it's actually yeah because because that's the thing the the reports when it came out obviously from critics mm-hmm. and from websites etc were as yeah. you say pretty brutal we're talking you know really down on it as you know but talking to people who are playing the game uh, yeah. i've heard nothing but good things and i think it is just that marvel of having this uh, and this is a cliche in and of itself i apologize for making it but having this full-blown yeah. console game in your hand Definitely. ready to go whenever you are that's kind of just technologically mm-hmm. amazing to a certain extent and yes you have to yeah. i guess suck up a certain amount of technical you know frailties yeah. to go with it like it's a, it's a big game but it's a big game for a console like let alone a handheld so yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's i don't know i mean like there is quite often a golf when like some kind of game on the vita comes out that is a port from a console game yeah. and even if it's just marginally inferior 
um, it tends to get hammered. Yeah, yeah. But the people playing it rarely complain, you know? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, I mean, you're saying that you're enjoying Borderlands 2. I've heard plenty of people um, say exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I just find it kind of strange, you know? Like, yeah. here's a game that is perfectly playable. People are really enjoying it. But they always get really, well, I mean, not exactly negative, but really kind of downtrodden reviews. Yeah. Just because it's not, it, it doesn't include complete party with yeah. a machine that costs a lot yeah. more and happens to be um, a hell of a lot more powerful as well, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's it. On um, on the Burnout 3 and Burnout Revenge show, we talked about the fact that when Burnout Legends came out on PSP, it was right up there. It did everything that Burnout 3 had done on consoles a, a year or two prior. Um, and the DS version was a big miss. You know, it, it had mm. a lot of stuff missing. It didn't run well at all. That's where right. you've got two versions that should be comparable and you can see a, a distinct difference there. But yeah, it does seem that um, there is a willingness to forgive a difference between a large console version and, and the, the portable version. But yeah, as I say, just like you, Darren, heard nothing but good yeah. stuff about it from people actually playing the game. Um, which makes me intrigued to to try it. It's a little disappointing. It would have been perfect had yeah. it had all of that DLC because that would be the perfect excuse for me to play that version and kind of not worry about mm-hmm. any other versions that I've got, uh, which it turns out is all of them because yeah. it's on PS Plus as well. Um, yeah, no, interesting to hear. So th- I want to say thank you very much to everyone who, uh, who posted comments on the forums. Uh, we had... A fair number of comments and so I, I had to pick ones that fitted what we were saying but that's not to disparage anyone who left comments where they're always welcome and always um, an absolute joy to read um, f- selecting them for the show and also for uh, you know getting into conversations about these things so if uh, if you're in- enticed at all go and visit our forums and and get involved in the conversations every week there will be a forum thread about the next show that we are recording for this very purpose um, the other way in which you can get in contact with us, on the day of recording, we generally send out a tweet asking for you to provide us three-word reviews, and many, many of you have done so. Um, Darren, would you like to start us off? Certainly. Shane Muscat says, fun loot explosions. Uh, <laughs> I gave myself this one, didn't I? Boatia Babels, I believe, I assume it's... <laughs> French, pos- I apologize, sir, if I have butchered that particular <clears throat> name. It says, disappointingly shallow antagonist. Uh, Moose Grinder says, handsome Jack rules. Robotic Monkey says, scratched an itch. Stimarsh says, Vita version excellent. Nubish DM says, the glorious loot. Alfred Fank says, and he requests this in a southern accent. <clears throat> Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Final Max Storm. Great on Vita. Simonkey says, strip the flesh. Xavier Fox Shandy, in reply to this, says, salt (laughs) the wound. Uh, Darren Gargett, I was wrong. Nothing new, though. Yeah, I was going to say not for the first time, but that would be cruel. (laughs) (laughs) Tetsun says, regarding the Vita port, Better than expected. Woodfella15 says, Claptrap, more like. Another divisive character, I think, uh, Claptrap. Um, the Link's Defect says, Tiny Tina Rules. And uh, to Dino, uh, Addictive Multiplayer Madness. 
Fantastic. Once again, thank you very much. Um, I, I I enjoyed putting some of those next to one another because um, it showed some of the vastly different ways people responded to Handsome Jack or different characters in the game. But some very interesting opinions and amazing what people can do with three words. Probably our summaries now, I would say. Um, I love Borderlands. Uh, it was one of my favourite games of 2009, and that is not a, a small compliment to pay given the games that came out that year. Borderlands 2 didn't quite make it as high in 2012, but actually thinking back on it, I loved an awful lot about this game. I am inclined to go back and play through it in its entirety more than just the four or five hours that I spent with it this week already. It it looks better. I think it plays arguably better. Unlike Darren, I I, I thought the the classes and the um the new skills. I I thought they'd done a lot of refinement there, and I I just loved what they'd done with the story and the writing. I think Borderlands Two is a absolutely fantastic game, and um so much so that. I I'm intrigued to see what the pre sequels like. Um, it's not by not developed by Gearbox, but I, I can't wait to get back into that world, um, see Handsome Jack from hopefully a different perspective. Um, and and yeah, more Borderlands is never going to be a bad thing to me. Um, it, it scratches itches that sometimes I didn't even know I had. Sean, how about you? Yeah, actually, not much more to add, honestly. Um, <laughs> before it came out, Kind of all I wanted from Borderlands 2 was just to be more Borderlands. Um, most sequels, I kind of want them to be to add something new or to to mm. be more impressive or something. But I, I, all I needed out of Borderlands 2 was just like I said, more Borderlands, and that's all it does. <laughs> it's it's more, it's bigger, it's better. Um, it's one of like the two, uh, I guess only two games I can think of that made me actually like bust out laughing out loud. That's in Portal 2. Um, the only two games I can think of that really made me laugh and um, yeah I just had so much fun with this game the feedback loop that it has of just you shooting stuff it's telling you what's you know the damage that's happening and you're leveling up and all the the echo logs that you can find and all the different locations just so much there's so much in this game and I, I just love it yeah there's not really much else I can say that you didn't already <laughs> say like the writing's much better everything about it i loved and it was definitely one of my favorite games of that year and actually of this last generation and at the same time mm. i'm not totally sold on the next one um specifically because it's not gearbox and uh anthony yeah, birch yeah, more yeah. so than anything else mm. i don't think he's working on it at least um so that and what they've shown so far i didn't have that uh Theodore reloading moment yet where you know they haven't shown me like there's some new stuff in it that looks kind of cool with the oxygen and it's all in space and that looks kind of neat but I'm not I'm not totally sold on it but um as far as this one goes it's it's one of my favorites so yeah highly recommended yeah Darren your thoughts on Borderlands 2 well as you know I was quite a big fan of the first game I played it a hell of a lot and I think that that might have been problematic for the sequel because the amount that I played Borderlands 2 is very likely to have bo uh, bumped me out on the entire gameplay loop for the sequel. I mean, it was fine. I re reasonably enjoyed it. I mean, it was ju just kind of... It was more of the same, and it was something that I'd been doing for a very long time. 
Um, as I said, I didn't find any of the new classes as interesting as Lilith was in the first game. So it was actually just slightly less enjoyable. Not by much, just by a little. And, um, yeah, I mean, the story was... There was more of it. I mean, not even going to say that I even enjoyed that all that much, you know? I mean, it, there was a lot more story, a lot more dialogue, a lot more uh, motivation for doing what you were doing. But I didn't think it was a great story overall, personally speaking. And, yeah, I mean, I hate to be a bit of a downer, but it was just so much more of the same. And maybe if I hadn't played Borderlands 1 so much, that wouldn't have been mm. the issue that it yeah. was. But, as I said, I think I might be burnt out on it. I recently played the Destiny Alpha, and I didn't particularly enjoy that either. You know, I think I'm kind of done with uh, random stats and guns right mm. now. And I miss my double anarchy. I really <laughs> miss that from Borderlands 1. <laughs> that, that gun was a beast. Yeah, no, that's um, th- that's absolutely fair enough, and and yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people feel that when the pre sequel comes out, that you know, maybe they're not ready yet for another mm. Borderlands. It was a three year gap between the first two games, but only two years now, so yeah, it's, they're coming around a bit quicker. Okay, and finally to wrap us up, a newcomer to Borderlands series, Jay. How did you find it overall? Um, I I, I guess because I came in with low i wouldn't say low expectation no expectations really because i thought why not it's free here we go let's, <laughs> let's see what this was about <laughs> i actually really enjoyed the game i played probably about a third maybe even half the game in co-op and um the rest of it on my own just you know including getting to the through to the final boss thing and stuff but um i haven't touched the dlc although that may yet still come to pass um there's there's you know we'll see what happens but still there to buy um but i honestly think that every game after playing this i wish every game had homing corrosive grenades and homing (laughs) corrosive bullets from a revolver they i just yeah the sheer sort of experimental nature of the various guns you know and there was this really kind of ocd aspect to it it's like well, what what does this one do oh it's got mm-hmm. this stat oh let's try this no it's crap get rid of that sell that what does this one do oh it's green <laughs> you know and it's just there was, there was like you know and literally i don't know what it is about corrosive well i know what it is it literally takes most things out in the game which mm-hmm. is really good um all my guns are green apart from one <laughs> one purple one which or maybe it's yeah, just the logo, but it's yeah. <laughs> oh, that might just be the rocket launcher. That's just for everything that doesn't die through acid. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just <laughs> yeah. I I and I found myself like going back to it, just sort of playing random bits and just doing a bit of grinding on it this week. It kind of got its hooks back into me again. Mm-hmm. And although I haven't played really experimented or whatever with any of the other characters, because I'm a bit of a stickler with that, you know, I just tend to want to keep playing with the one character and mm-hmm. get them maxed out on everything that I can. I I kind of want to go back now and, and start the game again with one of the other, like Maya or somebody, somebody with a completely different sort of set mm-hmm. of skills and stuff and just, just experiment. I mind you saying that, you know, accent with turrets. I do like the sound of turrets, man. I do like the <laughs> idea of putting these things around and letting them do all the work. <laughs> yeah. 
I'd also like to mention that uh, Super Mario Galaxy with cor- corrosive grenades sounds pretty rad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they would work in most games, wouldn't they? Yeah, but yeah, yeah you know, watching, um, I was watching Desi's uh, Mario Kart video and I'm thinking, yeah, but, you know, homing corrosive grenades <laughs> on that would be, be even better, you know? <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, thank you very much uh, to all of you, in fact. I'm not going to single out anyone. Uh, to all of you. Uh, thank you to Sean O'Brien, Jay Taylor and Darren Foreman. In the future you will be looking forward to, no doubt as much as I am, Borderlands the pre-sequel and Tales from the Borderlands, but closer, sooner than that, next time in fact, in issue 136, we put a bow on top of Criterion's Burnout series and our own Burnout series as we visit Paradise City. Until then, it's goodbye from me, James Carter, and thank you very much for listening to Kane and Rinse. Stop.